if you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, that's where we will begin this morning. We're going to be all over the New Testament. Uh, that's why I didn't put a verse down on the bulletin as to where to go. Luke chapter 10. Uh, you know, the people have a lot of misconceptions about the Bible. I, I talked to a fellow this couple of weeks ago, and he said, uh, I don't read the Bible because it's full of contradictions. And I said, well, tell me one. He said, well, I don't know, but I know they're there. And a lot of folks are that way. They think the Bible says something it doesn't say, or they think that the Bible says something that it does not say, or, or vice versa. And one of the things, and one of the misconceptions people have about the Bible is the fact that Bible is anti-woman. A lot of folks think, well, Christians, God, it's just anti-woman. And while I admit that the time that the Bible was written, uh, the culture itself was, uh, did pretty well, a lot of times see women as property and as second-class citizens, God has never been that way. Uh, the Bible is full of stories about women that God honors uh, in the Bible. God never takes women and put, puts them in a second secondary role at a secondary place in a secondary position. While I do believe that God does have roles for men and women and children, I also believe that all of them are equal in God's sight. Uh, all of us are made in the image of God. Amen? And so this morning we're going to do a 30,000 foot flyover, Lord willing, of the New Testament. And we're just going to look at the title of this lesson. is It's, it's really theological and I thought really hard about this title. You ready for it? Wonderful Women of the New Testament. Uh, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. In honor of Mother's Day, I want to uh, honor women and, and just encourage the women that are here to be all that God's called you to be. Amen? Amen. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village. And that certain village, by the way, is Bethany. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. You are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. If you could picture this particular story, anytime Jesus came anywhere toward the end of his life, and that's where we are at this point of Luke, Jesus drew a crowd. And so uh, Jesus came this day to the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and uh, when Jesus gets there, Mary comes rushing out to meet Jesus and, and to sit down at the feet of Jesus and listen to Jesus teach. Uh, Mary had also, uh, she's also the one who took some perfume and broke it over the feet of Jesus and anointed Jesus' feet. Mary very much understood who Jesus was and what it was Jesus was doing. But in the middle of all this to do, and that's what I kind of call, if I go by a house and there's a bunch of cars there, I'll say they're having a to-do. In the middle of all this to-do, Martha comes out. She, I'm sure she said, where's Mary? 
There's work to be done. There's food to be cooked. There's feet to be washed. There's different things that have to be done. We've got a lot going on. Who's going to fill the cups up with ice? Who's going to make sure there's silverware on the plates? Who's going to make sure that the table's ready to go? Who's going to cook this turkey? Who's going to wash these dishes? There's a lot that needs to be done. You need, where's Mary? Mary's out there with Jesus. Out there with Jesus. I'm going to go tell her something. Can y'all see her? I'm going to tell her something. She goes walking out there. Jesus, you tell Martha, Mary that there's work to do. There's a whole lot of cleaning here. She's left me by myself in there to do all of it. And boy, she's just ready for Jesus to say, Now Mary, go, or Martha, Mary, go help Martha. Go help your sister. But instead, Jesus says, You know, Martha, and, and just the way he says it, Martha, Martha. I see him kind of shaking his head. You're worried about so much stuff. Your schedule's so full. Mary's chosen, and what you're doing is good, Jesus says, but Mary's chosen the best part. Mary teaches us that in the middle of a hustle and bustle world, there's a pecking order. Uh, we learn time management from Mary. Jesus says that Mary's here worshiping me while she can because I'm not always going to be here. If we jump into 2023, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of us are busy? We all are, right? We're busy. We have a lot to do. We have a lot to take care of. Our, our to-do lists are long. And most of the things that are on our to-do list are good things. Uh, I don't see how young couples today, when there's, there's softball and t-ball and soccer and cheerleading and 4-H and uh, FFA and all kinds of things, band and sports for kids to be involved in. Uh, these parents wear themselves out going to, and it's all good stuff. What the kids are doing, are it's good things. Most of us don't have on our to-do list, I think I'm going to go get drunk today. Uh, I believe I'm going to go run around on my wife today. <coughs> That's not what our lists are full of. They're full of good things, but the question I have for us in the middle of our good things, have we left time for Jesus? So many times we're so full of good things, we don't have time for the best things. We're so wrapped up in doing good that we don't have time to praise Jesus. Can I remind us on this Mother's Day? And mothers and grandmothers, how y'all do everything you do is beyond me. I, you have my admiration. You have my, my sincerest appreciation for everything that you do. And we're going to talk about more about that here in just a little bit. But in the middle of our being busy, let's remember Jesus needs to go at the top. If you don't get the oil changed today in your car, make sure you take the time to stop and worship Jesus. Amen. Amen. If the grass doesn't get cut, It'll be there tomorrow. If the dishes don't get washed this evening, they'll be there in the morning. Take time to be with Jesus. Take time to pray. Take time to worship your Lord. And in the middle of doing all that's good, worship your Lord while you're doing it. 
We learn from Mary time management, saving time for the best things. Now notice the contradiction. Go to now Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 36. Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 36. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed there many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. Mary was praised because she didn't serve. Dorcas here is praised because she does serve. Notice that Mary was praised because she worshiped instead of served. Dorcas is praised because she worshiped while she served. Amen? Picture this funeral. And there was a lady that lived down the road from us in Pinewood that she, was, she made blankets. She liked to hand stitch and make quilts and blankets. And when she passed at the funeral home, they had all these blankets that she had made on the walls and on the tables, and, and people were just talking about the, the, the blanket. She was a godly woman, and I thought of this passage, that they're, they're talking about, yeah, you remember Dorcas, you remember Tabitha. Oh, she was such a nice lady. She made this blanket for me, or she made this quilt for me, she made this coat for me, and it keeps me so warm. Uh, could you imagine that? This lovely woman, God called her home. God took her home. And when Peter gets there, he sees all the people crying and just talking about how wonderful Dorcas was or Tabitha. And Peter runs them out of the room and it's Peter and Tabitha. And Peter says, Tabitha, arise. And Peter took her by the hand. Up she came. And then Peter presents her to everyone alive. Can I tell you that this woman was such a good woman that God brought her back for more? She was doing so many good works that God wasn't finished with her yet. Can I encourage ladies and men alike? If we are Christian people, we ought to have a life that's given over to service. Romans 12, 1 tells us to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God. That's our reasonable act of worship. 
Did you know helping people and doing things for other people is a form of worship? When we think of worship, we usually think of Sunday morning service where we sing and take up a collection and maybe have communion and hear a sermon. But worship is our lifestyle. That, that's only part. What we do here today corporately should only be a fraction of what our life's worship is all about. When we go to work, we should worship. When we go to Food Saver, we should worship. When we go to senior citizens, we should worship. We should be about serving God and doing good things for other people. Do we see the people around us that need help? I was at the gas station, the convenience store at the Dixon Eggs at the other morning going to work. And uh, all of a sudden I heard someone say, have a good day. And I didn't, there wasn't a soul beside me, so I kind of went, yes, Lord. And I looked down and there was a homeless man eating a little bit of breakfast, drinking a Coke, and he's the one that told me to have a good day. And I looked closer at him. He, had, he only had one eye. His one eye was glassed over. And I talked to him probably for three or four minutes, kind of say, how are you doing? How did, do you need anything? Are you okay? He said, you know what? He said, I can feed myself, I can change myself, and I can, uh, I can dress myself. So he said, I'm better than a whole lot of people are. And I thought, you know, if a homeless man can feel this way, my little complaints are nothing. Do we see people? Are we there to help? Now, I'll say this, when a, like the 2010 flood came, man, there were people helping us. We, we had a group, Mennonites come, we had Methodists come, we had the Baptist uh, disaster relief. We were an equal opportunity and non-denominational disaster. Everybody came, to, we had all kind of help. We had so much, many folks helping us, we sent them to our neighbors because we had too many helping us and they didn't have anybody. And our neighbors afterwards said, you know, so we invite all of our friends over to have, they'd have drinking parties and have big time on the 4th of July. She said when trouble started, not a one of them showed up to help. And she said, your church folks were amazing. And she said, I didn't know you knew that many people. I said, I don't know any of them. I said, I'll do you one better than that. I don't know any of them. She said, you mean all these strangers came to help? I said, yes. And we sent them your way because we had too much help. You see, if Christians would learn to do that, remember Jesus said that the world will know that you're my disciples if you love each other? If we would learn to act that way instead of fussing and fighting and squabbling about every little thing, I wonder what we could do with the Lord. Can I encourage us all to be like Dorcas? Do good stuff for people. And it doesn't have to be big. We, we, all, we want to look at big stuff, and, and that's the point I was going to make about the flood. When, when, it's, when, it's, uh, when we hear about it, when the different shootings go on and different disasters, fires, people come running. But you know what? Tomorrow morning there's going to be somebody in your path that needs help. There's going to be somebody in my path that needs help. They may not have gone through something that made the news, but that doesn't make it any less real. Let's be like Mary and save time for the best. But let's also be like Dorcas and give our life to serve it.
Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Verse 11, beginning 11 to 15. Acts 16, 11 to 15. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down there and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God, and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now we could do a whole sermon on Lydia and really get into some theology and all that, but we're going to stay at 30,000 feet. We're not going to drop down and do a, a close look. But a couple of things I want to point out from the life of Lydia. Normally, when Paul, if you go through the book of Acts, when Paul would go to a town for the first time, the first place he would go to would be the synagogue. And he would start his teaching there in the synagogue. Well, when they get to Philippi, Apparently, there was no synagogue. That means they didn't have ten Jewish men there in that city to start a synagogue. And so on Saturday, Paul and his ministry team, they hear about this group of God-fearing women who meet down by the riverside. So they went down by the riverside. Y'all remember that song, Down by the Riverside? This is where we, we get that, that song. They went down by the riverside, and there Lydia and a group of women women were worshiping. Scripture tells us that Lydia was a successful businesswoman. She sold purple, she sold clothes and cloths made out of a purple dye which was made around the area of Thyatira. Rich folks would buy the, this dye and make clothes or, or buy the clothes. Purple was a color worn by the rich and by the, by the wealthy and by royalty. A couple of things I want us to understand about Lydia. A couple of quick lessons. First of all, it's possible to be a successful business person and be a God-fearing person at the same time. Uh, when we work, wherever it is we work, we don't have to leave God at home when we go to work. God, Jesus, is not just a Sunday morning thing that we do. Jesus should be over everything that happens in our lives. Uh, we, you say, well, my business doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. Can I tell you, your business has everything to do with Jesus. Jesus is Lord over all. He has authority over all. Scripture tells us in all we do, in word or, do, word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. But I go to the prison tomorrow, I'm working for Jesus. Wherever you go tomorrow, whether you're going to work, whatever it is you're doing, you do it in the name of Jesus. Not only is it possible for us to be a successful business person, person at work, and a successful Christian, we better be both. Because when it gets to what's important, if we don't have Jesus, we don't have anything. So Lydia was a God-fearing woman. 
She hears the gospel. It says God gave her the ability to open her heart. There's a big theological truth in that, but I'm going to leave it alone for this Sunday. I'm just going to mention that you can't be saved without the Lord opening our heart to allow us to understand how to be saved. And that, that's a whole different lesson. But not only was Lydia a successful business person and a successful God follower, Lydia also was determined to worship God no matter what the, the obstacles were. Lydia and those women could have said, well, there are no men here to lead us, so I guess we just won't worship God. I'll read here in my house, or I'll, I'll pray in my house. I, these women decided, you know what? We don't need a man to lead us. We can't find ten women. We got a man. We got a group of women. We'll go meet God. We'll go meet with God down by the riverside, and we'll worship and we'll pray and we'll do the best we can in spite of obstacles. I hate to preach about church attendance because when you preach about church attendance, you preach it to the ones that are here, right? So it's kind of like preaching to the choir. But how many people? at the slightest little obstacle. Well, I can't go to church today. Uh, our electricity was out, and I couldn't wash my hair. And Y'all don't know what I look like if I don't wash my hair. And uh, I can't do this, or, or my, my foot hurts, and so I, I better not go to church today. Or I'm kind of tired, so I better not read my Bible today. Or I'm kind of this, so I better not do that today. When we read scripture, the God-fearing people in scripture, they got to where God was no matter what the obstacles were. Amen? Uh, think of this big one. Jesus could have very easily said in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know what, Father? I don't feel like going to the cross tomorrow. That's going to hurt. He didn't. He was going to do his father's will, no matter what the obstacles were. Would you consider the cross an obstacle? Would you consider a crown of thorns being whipped, beaten, spit upon obstacles? Jesus worshipped. Lydia worshipped. Let's be like Lydia. Don't focus on the obstacles, because you know what? Satan puts obstacles in our path. Focus on God, not the obstacles. Let's be like Lydia. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5. This is one of the last letters that Paul wrote, and he wrote it to a young man who was his spiritual son, that young man Timothy. And in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, Peter says context-wise that I want to come see you, I, I want to be there with you, but I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it's in you also. Peter or Paul also says later in this chapter that your mother and your grandmother taught you scriptures from your childhood. 
I want to honor Lois and Eunice this morning, the mother and grandmother of Timothy, for doing what God called them to do, and that was to be a godly mother and a godly example to Timothy. I want to praise and thank you mothers and grandmothers today. Women who stay home decide to be a mother and a grandmother get a hard time in our society. And I don't know why folks want to give them a hard time because, can I tell you, without faithful mothers and grandmothers, our kids wouldn't have a chance. We should never shame or disrespect a woman that stays home to take care of their family. Now, we shouldn't shame or disrespect a woman who makes the decision to work either. Different people's circumstances, different people's... Uh, Economic situations, they're different. So we don't need to make judgmental calls like that. But can I tell you the greatest task that you have been given is the task of a mother or a grandmother. That's to raise those children and them grandbabies like Jesus. And to make them like Jesus. If our world needs anything today, it needs godly mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers. And I know there are guys here too. This isn't just a, a, a mother's sermon because we can take every one of these examples and apply them to our world too. Godly parents. One of the biggest reasons so many people are locked up in prison is because their dads are out of their life. Their parents aren't involved in their life. You'd be stunned. One of the things that we do with inmates when they first get, get into the prison, the chapel, and sits down and talks to them about their background and where they, where, 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 when you ask them about their father, you'd be surprised how many of them say, I have no idea who my father is or where my father is. And I understand this is a Mother's Day sermon, not a Father's Day sermon, but they go together at this point. I'm here to tell you that this sounds old-fashioned, but I believe this with all my heart, and the older I get, the more I believe it. As goes the family, so goes the country. If we want to get our families back on track, we need to get our, our country back on track. We need to get our families back on track. Let me tell you all something. There is a movement afoot, and it used to be subtle, but it's wide open now. There are people trying to destroy families. Our government, and I don't care which party's in office, our government is making an effort to destroy the family. And when the family gets destroyed, the bedrock that holds everything together is gone. We need to stand up and be godly mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers and fathers. We need to bring the family back. I know there's a great phrase that says, make America great again. I want to get a hat that says, make families great again. Because we can make families great again. Can I tell you two things? If we'll make families great again, we turn back to God, America will be great again. And I was going to stop there. You notice so far I've given you uh, everything's been in order. I've tried to do that so we don't go back and forth. 
But as I was going over this message, I had two more that I want to cover very, very quickly for specific reasons. Go to Luke chapter 1. Back to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1. And I want to talk about Mary a little bit. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Luke 1, beginning at verse 26. Now in the sixth month of the angel, uh, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. That's the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I don't know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. There's a lot of reasons to honor Mary this morning, but the reason I want to include her in this message of wonderful women of the New Testament is the fact that she chose to follow God at a very young age. Chances are here she was probably 13 or 14, 15 years old uh, when, when, Jesus, when, when the angel came to her and said she was going to have a son. And imagine yourself at that age and having an angel come to you and say, you're going to give birth to the Messiah, to my son. As uh, Doc Brown liked to say in Back to the Future, or like I, th I think it was Marty McFly, he would say it to, to Doc Brown, that's heavy. If you were 14 years old and the angel came to you and said, you're going to have God's son, that's heavy stuff, right? And Mary said, do with me what you want to. This maidservant is yours. She chose to follow God in her young age. Can I tell you that you're never too young to start following God? I was saved when I was 17 years old. But I didn't really get serious about the Lord until I was almost 40. Now I believed in God and I called myself a Christian but I really wasn't serious. And now when I look back on those years I think about how much time I wasted. What, what I could have done if I'd have really been active for the Lord back when I had energy. And back before my heart went bad. Back before, but you know what? It took a lot of those things to get me where I am today. So I praise God for that. 
But let's honor Mary for trusting the Lord when she's young. And for those young folks that are here, a lot of them are out today for various reasons. Let's encourage them in their walk with the Lord. Be serious about it when you're young. Because there's going to come a time, if God lets you live that long, you're going to get old. And uh, you're, gonna, you're not going to be able to get up out of the floor without having a bookcase to pull yourself up on. And you're going to maybe have to put your teeth in and take them out and wash them. Your hair is going to turn gray or it's going to fall out. You're not going to feel like you feel now. You be faithful to God. Follow him. Let's encourage our young people to be young men and young women of the faith. Trust God and be faithful to God while you're young. Because I'll tell you what, you have more influence over your peers than I could ever have. We can do so much for the Lord as young people. I realize working in the prison that my Christian clerks and the Christian men that are in that prison, they have more influence over other people prisoners and their chaplain does because they are right there with them. They're their peers. Can I tell y'all that young people are not the future church. They're the present church. And they need to understand it and we need to understand it. And then there's one more. I, I couldn't leave this lesson without looking to Luke chapter 21. And y'all, I could have gone all, on all day. There's Phoebe and there's uh, Salome, the mother of James and John. And, and there's just a ton of women in the Bible. We could, we could preach till three, 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm not going to. Somebody says hallelujah. But I do want to talk about this one lady in Luke 21, beginning at verses, with verse 1. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. I want to honor this woman this morning. She was poor. She was a widow lady. But she learns had and had learned what it means to give sacrificially. There's a lot of talk about tithing today. Should we tithe? And, and all about tithing. And tithing is simply taking 10% of your paycheck and putting it in the, in, the, in the plate. And can I tell you, we ought to tithe. That's a whole different sermon. I can preach all day on that too. I don't preach a lot about tithing and attending church because... Usually the ones that, that are here, they are good tithers. And so, uh, and I don't want to guilt somebody into doing things because if you're not given and you're not uh, convicted in your heart that it belongs to God anyway, then God's not going to accept the tithe. So that's a whole different sermon. But can I tell you this? Let you in on a secret. God doesn't care how much you give. That's why God didn't tell us in the age of grace and in the New Testament, give 10%. Can I tell you, 10% is a starting place. 
We need to learn to develop the same attitude this woman has, and that's give sacrificially. Give to the point where we deny ourselves in order to give to God. There are people that are sitting in church pews this morning, probably not here, but in other churches, they could give a check for $100,000 and not miss a beat. It wouldn't hurt them at all because they have a lot. Then there are folks that have $100 to last them all week long, and they give God 50 of it on Sunday. I don't, I don't want to talk about money, and, and giving is a very personal thing. That's between you and God. But can I tell you that this woman, when it comes to the scheme of how much she gave, she gave a couple of pennies. But it was all she had, and it hurt her. Jesus says this, and notice the way this is worded. This really struck out at me. Uh, verse 1, he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. All these rich people giving the, these things. And Jesus points out elsewhere how the people did things so people would see them. I imagine a lot of these rich folks will let folks know how much they gave. You know, they'll tell the preacher, I, we're the good tithers, so you need to Make sure we stay happy and all this. After all, uh, we're the reason why you have a paycheck every week. <coughs> and sometimes preachers listen, and that's a shame. That's a whole other sermon, too. Y'all, we need to learn to give sacrificially. We need to learn to be like this widow lady who gave till it hurts. Now, I'm not telling you how much that is. But if Lord lays something on your heart to give to, don't let Satan say, well, you know, if I give to this, I might not have enough money for that. You be obedient to God. And let God handle the consequences. One of Charles Stanley's favorite sayings is, obey God and leave the consequences to him. And that's what we need to learn to do. There's so many wonderful women in the Old Testament. And I hope you can see this morning that God in the Bible is not anti-woman at all. God honors women. He's told us so many stories of women in Scripture that are wonderful things. He's talked about some wicked women too, but he talked about wicked men as well. So God is an equal opportunity in his praise and in his condemnation.